0: Okay, last week we dove into David's life kind of right where he steps foot into history. The first time we hear about him at the point when we meet him in uh, 1 Samuel 16. He's an unknown quantity completely in Israel at this point. Like as far as we know, his family barely recognized he existed. Um, when Samuel shows up, um, his dad almost forgot he was even there. Like, are these all your sons? Yeah, this is all... Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 I have one more. I've actually done that, but I've got a little better excuse than Jesse. Um, so David is a completely unknown quantity um, when the prophet shows up. Uh, David's in the field as usual. When somebody, probably the next youngest son, uh, because as we as as we go through the study of David's life, it doesn't seem that Jesse had any servants. It seems like he was probably pretty poor. The fact that his youngest son is doing menial labor, um, and there's a few references to only a few sheep, and the gifts that he sends Saul when David gets hired by Saul. Um, are kind of laughable. So it's like a donkey load of bread, one skin of wine, uh, and uh, something else. No gold, no anything. So historians have said it's a pretty low um, gift. So most likely David's family was poor, and that's why David was working um, in the field. Um, but somebody came in and got David, said, hey, we got invited to a barbecue. Um, the man of God's in town. And so David comes in, and when he gets there, there's this kind of awkward scene where Um, They pour oil on his head in this kind of ancient liturgy that means you've been set aside to do a work for God. And so, this happens in David's life. And from all we can tell um, from the text, uh, David goes right back to the field and continues his chores. Um, Because next time he shows up, the brothers are away at war and he's taking care of the sheep and the dad has to leave the sheep in care of someone else so David can run some things to the brothers. So it seems like David goes right back to his old duties. And last week, we not only, only dove into his life, but we dove into one of his earlier psalms, one of my favorite psalms, Psalms 19, one of his nature psalms, um, where David kind of draws this connection between the sun and the Torah. He's talking about how this this sun that is so comforting and, and, uh, and encouraging and warm can also pin you down and burn you. You know, when uh, we imagine he was writing it in the heat of the day, and he's like, nothing can escape from its heat. And then all of a sudden he breaks into this speech about the Torah. He's like, "The Torah, your Torah is sweeter than honey. It's more valuable than gold. All these beautiful things." And then he kind of draws this connection. But it can also pin you down and burn you. Uh, and he he starts confessing, kind of, "God, if I have any secret sin in my heart, bring, please bring it to light." So he he draws this kind of metaphorical connection to the sun, which first thing in the morning is this beautiful thing that's that's warm and and, and comforting. And six hours later, it's like you can't get away from the thing. And he says, that's a lot like the Torah. The life that it promises, the, the justice that it promotes is, is this beautiful thing that we all want. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves pinned down by the Word of God. And it's like, man, it's just burning me everywhere. I can't get away from it. And so uh, David ends this psalm with this amazing statement where he says, um, God, let the, uh, after he confesses any sin, sin, hidden sin, he says, let the confession of my mouth which is the outward thing people can see, and the meditations of my heart, which is this inward thing that nobody can see. Let them both be pleasing to you, O God, my Redeemer and Rock. So he, he, uh, he makes this kind of statement. And then uh, we talked about the parallel between that, between David saying, let the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And then when God shows up uh, with Samuel, Samuel starts picking the biggest, tallest brothers, and David, uh, God is like, no, 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 man looks on the outward period, I look on the heart. So we... We see this parallel between David begging God, make the meditations of my heart pleasing to you. And when God shows up in town, he says, I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at that kid who's praying that the meditations of my heart be pleasing. And so we see a bit of a connection between Psalms 19 and and what God is saying. So I like to imagine Psalms 19 was written before Samuel shows up, uh, when when, when David is somehow tapped into what God is looking for as he's out in the woods with his sheep under the sun writing these poems, he hears uh, God's heart a little bit. So he's praying for his heart. And then not long after, I would imagine God shows up. He says, I'm looking for somebody's heart. Well, tonight's uh, psalm is similar. A little different tone. Um, actually, a I... little different tone, but I think this one is uh, is also early. It's also a nature psalm. Um, Only this one, I think, happens after Samuel shows up. Because even though David went back to his normal chores, even though he went back to his old life, it would be silly to assume nothing changed in David's life after the, the Samuel, uh, the prophet shows up. First Samuel reference ends like this. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So something dynamic has changed in David's life. And even For the sake of our argument, if you ignored the fact that a higher concentration of the Spirit of God was now on his life, we have to imagine something in the kid's imagination and meditations would have drastically changed when the man of God shows up and anoints you for something, for this destiny that you didn't realize you had. i got to imagine everything in the things he's thinking about and dreaming about and and imagining have completely and utterly changed. So would you do me a favor and stand for the reading, the official reading of God's Word for tonight. <coughs> this is from Psalms 8. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth, your glory is higher than the heavens. For the choir director, a psalm of David to be accompanied by stringed instruments. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth, your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet, you made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. (coughs) The flock's And the herds and all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims in the ocean currents. Oh Lord, our Lord, your name, your majestic name fills the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So we're outdoors again with David. Only Last week we were under the baking Middle Eastern sun. And this week we're under the huge expansive Middle Eastern night sky. This is kind of the counterpart, the flip side to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is kind of a midday, um, daytime psalm. This is a nighttime psalm. Psalm, So we imagine David writing this um, at night or based on what he sees at night. And I like to imagine, again using a little holy imagination, that David writes this the very night that Samuel has come. That David's sitting out in nature, um, obviously overwhelmed with fear and excitement and wonder over what just happened. Yet you have to assume that there's a little bit of nerves because the, the story of, of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery out of jealousy um, would have been, you know, a story that David was familiar with, being a common Old Testament story that predates David. He probably knew that story. And he knew that, you know, Joseph's hubris was part of the reason he got sold into slavery. So it was part of him that probably felt a little weird had being stood up in front of his brothers And anointed by the man of God when he comes in, when you're the youngest and everybody's just watching this happen. But needless to say, I don't think sleep came easily the night Samuel came to town. I imagine David went out, back out into the field and just marveled. I think he laid awake and looked at the sky. He says this. Whoops. Now I got something messed up in my notes. Oh Lord our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. It's very likely David knew the stars well. A lot of people back then did. They would kind of navigate by them. They'd kind of keep their bearing as they would travel by the stars. And I would have to imagine that David in his wandering to get the sheep to better pastures and new pastures and more pastures was probably pretty familiar with the fact that the sky didn't change much no matter how far he traveled. It was the same sky, the same markers, the same... And it wouldn't take much deduction for David to go. It seems like no matter where you go in the world... The sky is there, like God's majesty that is, no matter where I go, it's, it's there and it's huge. And you can go anywhere in the world and God's glory is on display. Anywhere in the world and His creation is on display. So David realizes that uh, even though his version of the universe was tiny, no matter where he went in it, God's masterpiece was visible. And I want to park here a little bit tonight uh, and I'm just going to totally nerd out for a minute. And I think this is kind of fun. At least it's fun for me. I hope it's fun for some other people. Um, because I feel like we've kind of uh, lost track of this wonder a little bit. You know, we've put men on the moon. We've got satellites that can see 10 to 15 billion light years away. Um, and it's all just space, no matter how far you go. And so we're, uh, you know, I don't think we often get wowed by the scope of things sometimes. And so I'm going to do my best tonight uh, to... <laughs> to treat with that a little bit. Um, And so let's start with this. Let's start with the fact that you're sitting in your seat, which is kind of a miracle. Did you realize that um, over the course of one year of your life, you will travel 584 million miles in 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 the course of one year? And you can try to convince me that I'm a homebody to and from work. That's all I do. I don't travel. Um, But that's just not true. by this time tomorrow, one day, you will go about 1.6 million miles even if you just sit on your couch that's how far the earth will have moved in its rotation you will if if you take your location today then your point tomorrow if you're standing outside of of what we consider here uh you'll move 1.6 million miles in 24 hours you're going 67,000 miles an hour right now as you sit here 67,000 miles an hour and when you add in the fact that we're spinning At almost a thousand miles an hour, it is an absolute miracle that we're not splattered against the wall. You know, that we're able to just sit here in our seats and do nothing. So we're kind of a tiny speck on this giant rock that's hurling through space at insane speeds. And this is home. This is the Milky Way galaxy. This is the composite photo of the Milky Way galaxy. What I mean by composite is we have hundreds of thousands of photos from within the Milky Way because nobody's ever left to, like, take a selfie with the Milky Way in the background. So this is the best we can tell with the hundreds of thousands of satellite images from inside the Milky Way of what it looks like. And this is what we consider. So this is kind of our backyard. This is our neighborhood. Um, and as far as we can tell, the Milky Way is one of about 100 billion other galaxies in the known universe. The Milky Way is just one of them, and incidentally, in that galaxy, you would be right about there in the middle. And nobody honestly believes that the galaxy is perfectly round around us, and we just happen to be in the middle. But all of our satellites can reach exactly the same uh, distance in every single direction, so it kind of forms a spherical picture around us. I'm sure we're not the center of the galaxy. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm I'm not going to mess up that heresy, but. Um, but yeah, so that's what the galaxy looks like. The Milky Way would be just a blip on that screen of the known universe, the part of the universe we've seen. Okay, that's the part we know of, and we're just a blip on the map. We're not the biggest galaxy. We're not the brightest galaxy. We're just a good, steady, everyday, wear-it-to-work kind of galaxy. And over here on this little spiral arm on the side is what scientists call the galactic habitable zone of the Milky Way. We're on one of the extreme uh, spiral arms. And you might think galactic habitable zone, it sounds like a little, it's probably where Earth is, right? Which is a little bit misleading, because if I were to put a pinprick in that, too small to see with the naked eye, that pinprick might be small enough to hold one of the hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way. And uh, that would be our star, what we call the sun. It's not the biggest star, it's not the brightest star, it's an everyday kind of average star. Um, luckily, it's not a binary star. We've got binary stars in our Milky Way, which are two stars that live in gravitational connection to one another. And if it were a binary star, it couldn't support the little planets that circle around it. Binary stars can't have planets because every time a planet comes around, it gets sucked to the other star and back and forth. And so it's got to be a, a unilateral star, which we happen to have, which is awesome, over here in this little pinprick. So, again, not the biggest star, not the brightest star, just a good, steady star with a bunch of planets around it and uh this average star um i don't want to downplay it too much because it is quite impressive it's the equivalent of billions of nuclear bombs exploding on the surface every second puts off the energy of billions of nuclear bombs every second on the surface of our sun so yeah by all means put on some sunscreen go out and get tan and sexy it's just nuclear bombs going off um and it's not only powerful, but it is quite big in perspective. Uh, that would be, you can fit about 1.3 million Earths in our star, in our sun. Um, so if the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be about 15, a 15-foot 15 diameter and would kind of barely fit in this room. So pretty big star from for us. <coughs> but it's actually okay to go lay by the pool because we happen to be the exact right distance from our star it takes the the heat from the sun about eight seconds a little over about 8.3 seconds to get to us traveling at 5.88 trillion miles or light years per uh, trillion miles an hour sorry 5.88 trillion miles an hour Um, so the heat from the sun takes about a little over eight seconds to get to you when you're laying by the pool Um, we're 93 million miles ...from the sun, which happens to be the exact right distance. If you scoot us just a tad bit closer, we would all free, or burn. If you scoot us just a tad bit back, we would all freeze. So we just happen to sit the kind of ideal distance from our star. And if you need a little better picture of scope... Um, ...in 1977, NASA launched the Voyager mission, which is this unmanned space... ...if anybody know what the Voyager was? Anybody track the Voyager? There's this unmanned space mission that was uh, tasked with just taking pictures of space. We just launched it in a solid direction and just let it take pictures and send them back on the way. And in 1990, it was reaching the edge of our universe, or the edge of our solar system. Um, And it was about to kind of leave contact with NASA. So the last thing NASA asked it to do was turn around and take a picture. And it took a series of 60 pictures as it turned around and sent them back to NASA, which is amazing to me because I still drop cell service on 33 Highway. So the fact that, that NASA can talk to this satellite from where Pluto is out there getting body shame for being too small, um, uh, this thing can still turn around and talk to NASA. It took a couple months to get all the pictures back, but it sent back these pictures and this one came back, which completely wowed astronomers. Anybody ever seen this picture? It's kind of a famous picture, which tells you that astronomers are smarter than me because I would have thrown this one away like one of those pictures that went off in your pocket. Like it didn't look like anything to me. But uh, but astronomers recognized that. That, from about where Pluto sits, is Earth. Carl Sagan named it the pale blue dot. That is the farthest picture of Earth that has ever been taken, obviously. Nobody's ever taken a picture of Earth from farther than that. That is Earth caught in a sunbeam that's reflecting off the surface of the Voyager. Right there. The pale blue dot. Some people are familiar with this. It's actually a a uh, pretty famous, but if you imagine that in a pinprick in the edge of the Milky Way. So we, you, me, are one in seven billion humans on that tiny speck that circles a totally average star in one of a hundred billion, of one of a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way that is one of a hundred billion galaxies in the known universe. And 3,000 years ago, I think David got that. He said this, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod, which is a derivative of the word kavod, which means weight. Like mass. And David says that this great word when looking at the universe, your, your mass, your weight, your heaviness is higher than the heavens. Fills the universe. Which makes us really small. And I know what you're thinking. I don't come to church to be, feel small. I already feel small enough. I didn't come to so you to make me feel small. And I want you to know that tonight, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm trying to tell you, you are small. <laughs> you just are and that's my message you're small how do we respond to this no I'm kidding I'm kidding that's not all I have to say but I do hope by hearing your relative size to the scale of the universe might take some weight off of your shoulders some of us have this feeling like the whole universe will collapse if I don't finish my to-do list. The whole universe will collapse if I don't do things just right. The whole universe will collapse if I mess up a little bit. And I'm here to tell you, everything's going to be fine. If you are not carrying the weight of the universe. You do not have that much cavode. You aren't carrying a blip. You can relax a little bit and trust that things are in better hands, bigger hands than yours. You carry no kavod. You are a speck on a speck in a sunbeam. And this kind of scares some people because they feel like if we look at the scale of the whole universe, it makes human life look insignificant and meaningless. And I come to the exact opposite conclusion. And I think David did too. Because when he looked up into the vastness of space, this is what he said. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet, you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with kavod and honor. David sees the miracle. In the midst of all of this kavod, somehow I have a place Remember, we're imagining that David is writing this right right after Saul speaks a destiny into his life. And I can imagine David going, why me? Why are you even bothering with me? In fact, why are you bothering with Samuel? Why in the world are you even bothering with humans? Like I'm looking at this universe and it's more than I can imagine And here's why I think this is so important. This is so huge that I don't even really feel equipped to explain it, but I'm going to try. Some people think that a firm belief in God and religion somehow diminishes humanity. And somehow, you know, humanists have been telling us for generations that to to understand the full human potential, we have to shake off the shackles of religion and fully realize what it means to be human. They're trying to tell us that that God is somehow repressive and that to, to really fully understand your humanity, you have to shake off these chains. And I'm here to tell you that if you do that, you are a speck on a speck floating in a speck. The only thing that would give human life any meaning in this much size, the only thing that makes your life meaningful, my life meaningful, in that much size, is that God called you by name. That's the only place to find human meaning. Otherwise, we can't even find us on the map. We're some insignificant life form on a random rock floating in the vastness of space. And again, 3,000 years ago, David got it. You crowned us with kavod. You did that. God chose us. If you take God off the throne and try to put humans there, we're meaningless dust floating in the enormity of space. Our only value is the value God gives us. A $100 bill costs roughly 12.3 cents to make. The paper, the, the time and machinery it takes to make it, makes, sets its value at about 12.3 cents. But because a governing authority deems this 12 cent piece of paper to be worth 100, it's suddenly worth 100. And what's ironic is, if you decide to go be a missionary to the extreme bush of Africa, there comes a point where you're no longer under the world financial system. And if you pull out your hundred-dollar bill to try to buy something, it's paper again. It only has value when it's under the governing authority that says it has value. It's worth about 12.3 cents. If you leave, if you go out from, if we had space travel and you traveled somewhere else and pulled out a hundred-dollar bill and tried to buy something, worthless. You can take notes on it to send home because that's about all it's good for. But when it's under its authority, it has value. Sometimes the value comes from what's over it, from what's dictated. Kind of like Steve Perry when he left Journey. Like he was valueless after he left. He's only valuable when he's in Journey. David sits under the vast nighttime sky, unable to sleep, feeling destiny swirl around him. And he asks the question that I think captures the heart of gratitude better than, or makes the statement that captures the heart of gratitude better than anything else you can say. Better than all the thank yous, better than all the oh you shouldn't haves, better than anything else you can say. He says the one thing that truly captures gratitude. Why me? Why me? Who am I that you would call me? He looks at the vastness of space and says, Who am I that you've given me a destiny? What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. He wraps it in pretty poetry, but he's saying, Who am I? Why me? In the expansive of the universe, in the expansive vastness of the universe. Why would you call me? And I'm here tonight to say that we can ask that same question. Out of all the galaxies in the known universe, why would you come to my galaxy? Out of all the hundreds of billions of stars in my galaxy, you came to my star. And you came to my planet. Not on vacation, but on a rescue mission. And not to rescue somebody special but to rescue me. Why me? I get it. When I think about God's grace in my life, I'm like David. I'm like a teenage boy who just found out he's going to be king. I'm like, why me? I am nothing special that you would call me. I am dust. And I believe we can hear God say, you are not dust. You were dust, and I breathed my breath into you, and you were no longer dust. You're not paper, because I said you're money. That's how value happens. And I hope you hear this tonight. I hope you hear that value is not something you earn, it's not something you work hard for. It's not attached to your accomplishments, it's not attached to your failures, it's not attached to how much you have, how much you ever earn value is given to you by God. Period. God has declared you imagine the most successful person you could ever dream of. The richest person you could ever dream of. The the most moral, not counting Jesus person you could ever imagine. the, The person you would most like to be, again, not counting Jesus in the universe. like In the whole history of the world. Imagine the Biggest figure you could. That's what God sees. There is nothing you could ever do to add to or take away your value. Because God has given it to you. God has given you worth. You honestly... Can you imagine... The people that we think of the big names raising and tearing down kingdoms. How insignificant that looks on there. Like the the people who have built empires. You know how funny that empire looks? In In the universe, in God's eyes. This big, vast, massive thing I built. And God's like, it's a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck floating in my creation. So how do we respond to this? This is the real one. My favorite part of this psalm is that once David found himself in the vastness of the universe, once he caught the scale between him and God, once he realized how tiny he was and how huge God was, he was ready for a job. Now he's ready for his calling. See, there's something... Absolutely essential to this. If we want to live life right, if we want to do it well, there's something essential to this. When you understand how small you are and how huge God is, you're ready. Because God said, David said this You gave them, humans, charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. This is a repeat of what we see in Genesis when God gives humans dominion to rule His kingdom. If you think you are bigger than you are or that God is smaller than He is, you'll get this wrong. You'll exploit. You'll consume. You'll oppress. You'll get your stewardship all wrong if you think you're bigger than you are. This is what's so essential to understanding just how small we are and just how much of our existence is dependent on God. Because He's given us a lot to do. If we think we're bigger than we are, we'll do it wrong. Only when you get the scale right will you handle your charge and authority like a steward. Because that's the best we could ever claim to be, as a steward. Knowing that in the grand scheme of the universe... Our, own, our ownership only goes as far as God says it goes. So what are you going to claim to own? I don't care what you have. I don't care if you have $100 million or $10. On the scale of the universe, it's peanuts. It's nothing. So tonight, my prayer is that we might hear two things. First, that we're valuable. You are valuable. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to hold on to it or lose it. It's yours because God has given it to you. But the second thing is that you have a calling. You have a job to do. We talked last week about how we were called to be image bearers and how David talks about the mountains praising God and and it was because a mountain praises God by being a mountain. By doing what it was made to do. It was made to be a mountain. And so when it's a mountain, it's glorifying God because it's doing exactly what it was called to do. Which calls us into question... Because then it asks the question, are you doing exactly what you were called to do? Are you as smart as the mountain? The mountain's doing what it was made to do. Are you doing what you were made to do? And We talked about last week how we were called to be image bearers. God said it will make us in in His likeness and image. We're supposed to bear the image of God. Are we doing that well? That's the question. Last week, are we bearing God's image into the world well? Are we at least as smart as the mountain? And tonight's psalm, is stimu- tonight's psalm is similar, but the question is, are you stewarding well? Are you taking your role seriously? And i <laughs> This is what's awesome. I don't know if it's that there are no small jobs, or if it's that every single job is so small that there's no reason to differentiate, but it doesn't matter if it's taking care of your cat. If that's your task, do it well because it, how is that on the grand scale of the universe how is that any different than building and tearing down kingdoms they're both blips on the measure of time and, and space I love that tonight's Mother's Day I love that we bumped into this Psalm on Mother's Day it wasn't even important but what huger task than being a mom and shaping image bearers and shaping people who are who are going out to bear the image of God. And we talk about building Fortune 500 companies and raising up and tearing down kingdoms, which is laughable on the scale of space. Hilarious. But being a mom and raising people who are going to go forth and bear the image of God into history that's the real job that's that's the stewardship so the question tonight is do we do it well I want to close with a quote from Mother Teresa that I love so much not all of us can do great things but we can all do small things with great love That's what it means to be a mom. To do small things with great love. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And that it turns our eyes to what we should see. To what it's so easy to get distracted away from. And that's that you are at the center of everything. And that without you, we are meaningless. We are nothing. We're less than nothing. And yet somehow, you have given us weight. You have given us cavode. You have given us meaning. You've chosen us. In the midst of all of this, you've chosen us to go out and bear your image, to go out and advance your kingdom, to go out and bear your name. It's amazing how feeling so small can feel so big. So God, help us learn and keep the perspective of knowing that all the things that weigh us down, all the things that distract us, all the things that They grab our attention are in the grand scheme of things meaningless. You're the only thing that matters. And when we place ourselves properly under You, suddenly we matter. So help us to find our value in You. In Jesus' name, Amen.